Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Sporting Goss with Tim Gossage. Coming home, England are into the Euros final after a controversial penalty victory last night. Well, this morning, our time over Denmark. They play Monday morning against Italy. Well, the true believers thought it was only a matter of time to get into the Euro final. I wasn't a true believer, but I don't know the world game. One man who does eat, sleeps and breathes the round ball game is Special K, the producer. You're up and about this morning. Gosh, how good is that song? Yeah, great song. get anyone up and about. It's a great song. Uh, no penalty, mate. That was not a penalty. From, from, a, from, a, from a layman who's just sitting there watching, and I've seen the replay 37 times, and I don't want to put a poo-poo on what they've done, but that was not a penalty. Uh, he almost killed him, Goss. He almost killed Raheem Sterling. He was very lucky not to get away or to get away with just a penalty. That was, it was disgraceful. The way he absolutely cleaned up Raheem Sterling. Chris <laughs> did not touch him. No, no, he didn't. He didn't touch him. Uh, so very, very lucky. England were the better team and, yeah, very controversial. Like you, I've watched the replay over and over and over again. People saying, yeah, look at this angle. This is where you can see him hit him. Oh, I'm still not sure about that. The bit of controversy in the fact that it didn't go to the referee, I believe, didn't go to look at the monitor for VAR either. It's VAR, VAR in the Euros? Well, I thought it was. <laughs> I don't think it is. It is. Yeah. It is. But they... Alex is of, telling us down the line that it is. Yeah, but I, they didn't go look at the screen, which, which was odd. I know Arsene Wenger commented on, on that as well, said he'd love to see in situations like that. That's a massive moment in the game. You'd love to see the referee just to go over, wander over, take a look at the monitor to make his decision that way. But, nope, upstairs they said, yeah, it's a penalty. So it was given. Harry Kane stepped up to the spot. Saved. Put away the rebound, though. And he's a hero for England. Yeah. And um, it's not really coming home, is it, because they haven't won the Euros before. But Ah, well, good luck. And where's the game played? At Wembley. So they get a home final. Home final. That's a disgrace. <laughs> that is a disgrace. <laughs> It's big. It's going to be huge. No, it is going to be huge. Monday morning, and we'll have it all covered here on the Sporting Goss and Gillian Goss as well. More on that England winning goal, Gareth Southgate. More on Wimbledon, the news of Kate Campbell, Paddy Mills. We've got a massive show coming up. What have we got coming up, Special K? Well, Josh Mellington kicked a bag. Bag? A couple of bags. Bag? A few bags. 27. Three bags full on the weekend. 27. 27 goals. Has he hit the 100 yet? Has he hit the time of the season? Nine games. Crikey. <laughs> Going to chat with him, former Fremantle Docker, played six games for the Dockers, 2011, 12 and 13. Had some issues. He'll speak candidly about those, I am sure. Looking forward to that. So Josh Mellington's going to join us. Bill, Bill Monaghan, we had that text come in late yesterday, just uh, questioning the contract with Harry Taylor and what the the 
intricacies of it might be at East Fremantle. So Bill Monaghan, the coach of East Fremantle, will jump on. Tom Randall, I'm looking forward to this one. Tommy Randall, Supercars, yeah. Super 2 champion. I, don't know, I didn't know much about him, but uh, you're excited about him. Tim Hodges is a good mate of mine who's the producer, exec producer of AFL 360, mm. and a good mate of mine from Channel 10. Uh, and our man Alex, who pushes our buttons, said, mate, good get, Tom Randall. Yeah. I like to call him Randy. Randy. Yeah. Randy or Randall. T, or T Randall, as he's uh, affectionately called amongst the uh, playing group. Trandall. Uh, so he's going to join us on a regular basis? Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for that because, yeah, like you, Timmy Hodges was excited, which got me excited because yeah. Tim knows his motorsport he and does. so does Tom. Uh, the life of Riley, of course, will um, get some winners. Yeah, for Belmont Saturday because yesterday's Belmont. Belmont meeting was off. I'm led to believe Damn. the Pinjarra meeting down in the south is on today, despite the fact we've had some pretty wet weather. But we haven't had a lot of rain in more recent times. It's been pretty dry out there as well. So there's plenty coming on. You'll be manning the phones? I will be. And we'll hopefully be catching up with Nathan Sharp as well because the yeah. Wallabies last night. Yeah. <laughs> what a finish. Yeah, well, can we not go there? It was it was interesting, the well, finish. Well, I just want to say that watching sport at that time mm-hmm. in my house um, is difficult enough to be sitting on the lounge and sure. watching it. What time was it? It was about half past seven-ish, wasn't it? It was finishing. Uh, that was that was approximately when it was uh, finishing. I remember because I was at my mate's place and nah, yeah. his wife was saying, okay. when's it over? MasterChef is starting. Oh, really? So she was getting uh, okay. very so, angry. So I was watching it, loved it, but then I saw a line out and was – yeah, line out and I thought they took possession yeah, and I yeah. turned it over <laughs> to the front. So I think we're going to catch up with our man, Maddie Keenan, on the tour. I turned back literally two minutes later and yeah. they were celebrating. All over. I missed so the thought, actual <laughs> kick. Brands had a line out and you thought, well, it's over. Yeah. I think 99% of the, you know, rugby watching fraternity and audience would have thought the same yeah. thing. All you have to do is put it out. Well, I, I actually chatted to Sean Maloney earlier, commentator of the game. On Stan Sport. Uh, on Stan Sport last night. And he said, I didn't even have to kick it out. All they had to do was just knock it on, do anything, get some sort of stoppage. Yeah. It's game over. And they, they absolutely butchered it. Australia put the pressure on. Bizarre, what a win. Bizarre. Uh, just briefly on our text line, thank you very much. Uh, Goss, penalty was a terrible way to finish a great game, not a penalty in a million years. VAR is supposed to overturn terrible howlers like this, mm-hmm. and it failed when it was needed most. England did deserve the win, but Denmark didn't deserve, deserve to lose in that manner. So there you go there. That is from... Our man there on the text line. It's very hard to get hold of. Yeah, I, it's I don't a know how. Dodgy I, machine. Well, it's I'll, not I'll... a dodgy machine. I just don't know how to use it properly. <laughs> <laughs> dodgy user. And and also, uh, oh, Frank Vianja. Oh, yeah, well, Frankie. Yeah, Frankie. England have had a dream run and will have their work cut out. That was the first time they conceded a goal in the whole Euro mm. as well. You didn't know that, did you? Well, you did, but you didn't remember it. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, okay. hadn't, yeah. hadn't thought of it. Oh, I've done my, I've done my homework. Done your research through Frank. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> through Frank. Can't wait for Sunday, of course, and Monday morning out today. Frank of Yanjabuk, who is a great listener of SENWA, in fact, SEN in general. So, uh, busy man. Busy, busy I'm very show. Very busy, yes. Very Huge busy show. show. Again. But I want to open up with this. Goss on this Thursday. With all the talk about the coaching transition at Hawthorne, former teammates of Sam Mitchell at both the Hawks and also during his brief stint at West Coast have weighed into the chat about Mitchell's credentials and will he make a good senior coach when he replaces Alistair Clarkson. Eagles Premiership defender Will Schofield, who is in the infancy of a media career, was quoted yesterday on Perth Radio as saying, without Mitchell, the Eagles would not have won the 2018 Premiership. And Will who, to his credit, doesn't pull punches, would have not said anything had he not meant it. 
It also must be remembered that when rival media outlets are looking for clickbait, it is comments like Schofields that grab the attention of the fan. Well, the clickbait has won. It got me in. I, for one, was surprised by that comment. But then there was the double down. It came that Mitchell is a better coach than Adam Simpson and John Warsfold. Now, Schofield was not being critical publicly of Simpson or Warsfold, simply saying he holds Mitchell at the top of the coaching tree. 1A, a great coach, a great leader, a great communicator, good with young, good with old. Further to that, in today's West Australian pregame, Luke Shuey has also paid tribute to Sam Mitchell. So testing the water, I did send out the screenshot of Will Schofield's comments about without Sam Mitchell, the Eagles don't win the 28th Premiership. I got the odd rolled emoji, the old hand-on-chin emoji. I got a couple of comments like, that's Scoey's opinion. Did he really say that? Where? That's Scoey trying to be relevant. Ha ha. You got to love Scoey. He's just an angry man. On the Eagles Coast to Coast podcast yesterday, Oscar Allen and Hamish Brayshaw had this to say about Will Schofield's love affair with Sam Mitchell. I am a little bit surprised, but Mitch is a ripping coach and a ripping fella, and he has a great way to connect with all the playing group. And Scully would have seen it from a perspective where he played with him for a year. And also, I think they're, they're really good mates too. He'd be good to connect with because a lot of the senior players he would have played with during his time at Hawthorne. And then the younger players, he's kind of the new generation mould of a coach where he can be your friend, but also give you a whack around the backside when you're not doing something right. He's absolutely right. He is a phenomenal coach and I'm uh, and I'm very excited to see what he does with Hawthorne in a couple of years' time. Um, as to Scoey's view on him, I'm not actually that surprised that Scoey said he's the best coach he's ever had. I mean, uh, he'll be the first to tell you that he wasn't the first player selected in the team every week and he's had some very hard conversations with a lot of his head coaches over the years and, uh, and I think the constant in and out of teams might... Uh, I mean, Mitch has never dropped him from a team, so... I think that's probably why he's saying he's the best coach of all time, uh, in his opinion. But no, he's that's Mitch is a phenomenal coach. Did a lot for me in my first year. I really, really loved learning off um, him. He sees the game better than most people. So he's um, and with a wealth of knowledge, he's going to be very, very good for a long time. I think as a coach. So they are the comments of Oscar Allen and Hamish Brayshaw on Coast to Coast. Now I haven't walked in Will's shoes, and one thing you won't take away from him is his premiership player, and he's also now working inside the media landscape. Not all his teammates agree with him, and I'm sure not all the fans would either. They would probably say that maybe Dom Sheed, without him, they wouldn't have won the flag. Or Jeremy McGovern taking the match-saving mark. Or Elliot Yeo being in the right place in the right time in the follow-up play. Or the mark by Liam Ryan. Or the block by Willa Rioli. To say that without one assistant coach, the West Coast Eagles wouldn't have won a premiership is a massive call. And I don't expect Will Schofield to stand down for one minute from that call because he has an opinion and is entitled to it. What are your thoughts? Let us know. 0487 736 736 13 12 55. To fair to say that some of his teammates were stunned. Maybe not stunned. Maybe more surprised that Will would come out and say that. So boldly, but so strongly. But if you know Will Schofield, that's the cut of his cloth. This is the Sporting Goss. Let's talk WAFL football and we get back to normal after last week's COVID lockdown. 210 New Choice Homes Park. It is the East Romandle Sharks taking on Peel Thunder, coach of the Sharks. 
Bill Monaghan is online. First things first, belated congratulations on the ex contract extension. Uh, thanks, Goss. Um, it was a little time coming and, and had to jump through a few hoops, but we got there in the end and um, looking forward to not only the rest of this year, but the next couple of years down at Shark Park. Yeah, you started in a blaze of glory round one of the season against Peel Thunder uh, at their home, Dunghill, down in Mandra. Um, how much of that game do you take into your preparation for this time around? Oh, look, we've been playing some um, pretty good footy um, through periods of the, of the season. Um, a few fade-outs every now and again, and... And now we've been hit with a little bit of, you know, injury stuff, especially to our key forwards. So um, the way we play footy doesn't change a lot from week to week. Um, I'd like to play the same quality of footy we played in round one um, in what should be an interesting game, depending on how many Dockers fly back from Melbourne today or tomorrow, I guess will be the, the big key. Yeah, no doubt. It will be interesting to see what they measure up with. You talk about your lack of key forwards. Uh, I spoke to Jonathan Marsh on the show a couple of weeks ago. I think it was about a Tuesday. And then I read on a Wednesday that he got a broken jaw uh, out and about in Frio uh, three days before. He spoke like there was nothing wrong with him. Yeah, look, he, he, he actually was complaining of a toothache. Um, and so he, he actually went off to get an x-ray because they thought it was wisdom teeth problems. Um, he might have... He might have withheld a little bit of information along the way, but um, uh, he he actually has a problem. I think one of the, I'm not sure if they end up taking his wisdom teeth out at the same time, but that was actually um, part of the problem. So yeah, look, that was an unfortunate event. Mm. Something that you know, as a club, we, we we don't like our players being involved in, and you know, we've investigated. There's been a fair bit done done from it, and. The bottom line is that there was probably a number of contributing factors, and but at the end of the day, someone to be whacked from behind isn't you know something that you know many people believe is the right thing. So hopefully, a lot of learning for John Owen and and a few of our boys who were probably out and about at the same time. Yeah, I shouldn't have laughed. I do apologise for laughing, but uh, you're right. I was just thinking, my mind was ticking over. I was waiting for how you were going to uh, spin that around. Uh, can I? It, may you just share with the listening audience, and you may not want to, it might not be in your wheelhouse, was there any club punishment towards any of those boys for being out and in that situation uh, in regards to the investigation that you've undertaken as a club? No, look, we, we investigated the best we can, and, and we're not detectives, and we don't have footage of it, and it was probably pieced together and there was, you know, a couple of other clubs that were involved in, in that. Um, yeah, we we didn't sanction our players because at 12.30 on a Saturday night, um, you know, we're not going to say that they shouldn't be out. It's the only night of the week our players go out. You know, they're, they're really diligent during the week and, and so on. It's, in the end, it became... What can we do to diffuse those situations? What should we be doing to help each other? Um, you know, what sort of behaviours do we want to portray in the public? And it, it's more of an education around that. Um, yes, there was a scuffle. It's a little hard to work out whose fault it was. Um, and I think there was probably a number of people who who had some fault in it. Um, but like I said a little earlier, I don't think that means that, you know, a player should be literally king hit from behind. I don't, I don't think that means that they've done a lot wrong. Um, 
could have they got out of the situation? Should have they got out of the situation? Well, that's what we would have preferred, but that didn't happen. Bill Monaghan, the coach of East Randall, thank you, Bill, for your candid response to that because I think that is a bit of the elephant in the room. But we've dealt with that. We move on. Um, I want to take you to another topic that's uh, come across my desk here at Sporting Goss, and that's the signing of Harry Taylor. Can you put to bed the thought that he's going to be a full-time East Randall player, or is it purely because there's no country week this week, so Northampton aren't playing, and that he will play for East Randall purely because he has a bye or he's about to achieve a 50-game milestone. Can you just give me some clarity, or East Romano fans, some clarity on Harry Taylor's situation? Yeah, look, well, I'll go back to the off-season. We, we tried strongly to get Harry to play this year um, for us. Um, he trained through the pre-season, and he, he consistently trains with us through the year. So the role he ended up taking for us in, in the Midwest means he gets to Perth probably every three or four weeks, yep. and he comes and trains with us does some mentoring to our young players and leadership players, um, and he's a real sounding board for me as a coach. So our preference was Harry played with us for the year. He chose to move back to Geraldton with his family, um, and then he actually initiated the the contact last week. Um, He basically said that, Bill, you're under the pump. Your, Your three or four first choice key forwards aren't out. I think I can help you. Um, he probably indicated it was going to be more short-term until the cavalry arrives. Um, but I didn't specifically ask him how many weeks he would he would play for. Um, it was decided that he could help us out in the short term. What that looks like for the rest of the season, I'm unsure. My indication was, or my gut feel is that if Marsh and Dixon played next week, Harry probably wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But Dixon and Marsh aren't going to play next week. So um, I guess for East Fremantle people and, and me in particular, I'm hoping that he stays until Dixon and Marsh and, and probably O'Reilly are back ready for selection. Um, whether that's two, three, four weeks, um, who knows? But I guess a good story of it, it, it would have to be a world record for the time between your 49th and your 50th club game. It's been about 13 years. I don't think anyone would have bettered that. Does he get his name on the locker for fifty? No, it's a hundred. Um, but I'm, but I'm sure if Harry said I want my name on the locker, everyone at East Man will probably give it to him. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's been he's been outstanding for us in the role he's doing up in the in the Midwest, and and you know he he's just an East Mantle person who wants to to help us be the best we can. So, you know, there's going to be people at other clubs who question why he's playing and how it came about and did we convince him to play and did we rip him out of Northampton? Oh, I'm telling you, gosh, 100% that Harry rang me and said, Bill, I'm prepared to help if you want me to help and, and I jumped at the chance. Yeah, and why wouldn't you? Yeah, quality person, great to have around at any waffle level. I mean, not dissimilar to maybe even a Will Schofield who, you know, could have probably hung around and, and, and played at West Coast or, you know, in the West Coast waffle. But, of course, he lives down Mandra Way and he's decided to pour his oars in the water down at Peel Thunder, uh, which is, you know, which is the AFL Alliance Club to Fremantle. So the rivals of West Coast. And, but it's guys like that who bring so much to a playing group, don't they? The experienced players who have been at the top end. Oh, very much so. We've got to remember it was only eight or nine months ago, Harry was playing in an AFL grand final. Mm. Um, so his experience, uh, he he loves the East Fremantle Footy Club. Um, 
and what he can do for the guys who are playing. So the Max Murphys, the Bryn Teacles, um, because Harry will play forward um, because that's where we need him. And and even the feedback he can give to the Ruben Maguires and the Jurak Tuckers down back. um, He's a wonderful resource. And and that's our number one thing that, you know, hopefully while he's here, he can pass on a little bit more knowledge to those guys and and make them better players. And, And that's what we're after. He's not playing to keep kids out of the team. He's in there to help them become better players. Bill, you have to win, mate. You're two games out of the top five at the moment, and I know you, it's going to depend on who dishes up for Peel and the like. Of course, they've got a strange setup. I'd be surprised if, um, to be honest, uh, <laughs> who does come back, of course, uh, which ones are on the plane coming home, because they've only got the short break as well. They've got a, they've got a Thursday fixture after their weekend game in, in Tassie. They're going to have to hold a lot of players over. I'd be surprised if they're going to have too many returning for Peel in the waffle. Yeah, look, our early indications were that they were going to send all those who weren't needed, which is 12 or 13, um, back this week to play. But that was before they got a Thursday night fixture last week. And, uh, you know, I probably read in, you know, read what Peter Bell says and Justin says and a few others. And, it, you know, it's with, with an extra man or take on it. I, I think they're keeping 26 or 28 in Melbourne, only sending seven or eight back, but they haven't actually said that. So I'm hoping that, you know, someone in the media is at the airport in Melbourne today, because I'm assuming they're coming back today and will be able to tell me how many got on the plane. But look, what we can do is we can plan for their very best and, and, and we could be able to you know, execute what we want to. And, and we think regardless of who they sent back, if we played our very best, we'll be competitive and can win the game. I've just had received a text. They're sending back Fife, Mundy, Darcy, Ryan. They're all coming back to play in the waffle. Yeah, well, well, we've had Natanui and Barras a couple of years ago and um, it was like playing... It was back like when Peaky went to um, Geelong. Natanui arrived on his helicopter. He had security guards... Um, I actually got bumped off in my parking bay because he needed two um, parking bays to himself. He had, uh, it was, so just imagine if um, five came back. Uh, he probably, he's probably got the same sort of pull. He certainly does. Hey, Bill, good chat. Uh, well done on the contract extension. Thanks for being so candid on a, a couple of issues today. You're always upfront and honest, and that's the only way that you've ever operated. Thanks for joining us on the Sporting Goss. Good luck on the weekend at home against Peel Thunder. It's uh, five games on Saturday. It's going to be great for Waffle Footy. Well done, mate. Thanks a lot, Goss. Cheers, mate. Bill Monaghan, coach of East Mantle, and they are in action at home. And it's going to be a big one. It's a season-defining game, I reckon, for both clubs. This is the Sporting Goss. Welcome back. It is Sporting Goss on this Thursday. Don't forget, always get in touch with us. 13, 12, 55, and we have had been inundated with the texts this morning. 0487 736 736. Schofield's right. Clearly, he's not the only one who thinks Sam Mitchell's had an impact. How can how can Will Schofield spell wrong? How can Will Schofield say Sam Mitchell was the difference between winning and losing a premiership? I bet twenty-one other players on the list are unhappy with that. I don't know if they're unhappy, but they're not going to react to it. I mean, they're they're a group. They're twenty. There's twenty-two of them. Adam Simpson may have been asked this morning in regards to those comments from Will Schofield. And I know Simo's not going to pile in on that either, but uh, it'll be interesting to hear. But keep your texts coming. Um, and thank you to everyone who enjoyed this morning's uh, 
monologue in regards to that. Uh, we've had some uh, real positive feedback on our text line, 0487 736 736. What are you doing in here? Well, tech issues apparently over in Melbourne, so we can't uh, play the Nat 5 audio just yet that we were looking to go to. He's spoken ahead of his 200th game, the great man, the captain of the Fremantle Dockers, friend of Gillian Goss, of course. Yeah, very much so. Um, uh, so I just thought I'd come in just to so talk hello. about the Euros. Say day because we were meant to do it a little bit earlier on, and the England win last night was massive, wasn't it? Yep. For for the side, for Gareth Southgate as well, of course, the uh, the coach of England, and the team together now that they've got together is immense. Jack Grealish is is awesome. He got subbed last night, but he's been a real breath of fresh air for the England side. A lot of chat about how much game time he should be getting or, or isn't getting, but he was still very good and he's been a real, as I said, breath of fresh air for this England side. Bakaya Saka, who I mentioned, I think last week for England, the Arsenal youngster, he set Raheem Sterling up for the, the first goal. His assist was crucial. He got that man of the match. Uh, oh, what, a couple of games ago, I think. He's he's awesome. Their defence, as you mentioned earlier, the first goal they've conceded all tournament was last night. So they've been rock solid. And then you've got Harry Kane up front, who's finally found his shooting boots after a, a couple of misses early on in the tournament. Or not finding the back of the net early on in the tournament. He's kind of coming into some good form at the right time. It sets it up for a mouth-watering final against Italy. It certainly does. It certainly does. So we're talking about Euro 2020, Euro 2020, and the result was a 2-1 extra time penalty win. Harry Kane putting it in the back of the onion bag. So England will take on Italy. It'll be Sunday night, Monday morning, our time. 13, 12, 55, if you want to give us a call, 0487 736 736. Are you an England soccer fan and you are you pleased? You must be absolutely cock-a-hoop. Or are you an Italian Soccer fan. Are you from Italy? And you are seriously up and about because you're through it as well. Let's have a listen to the goal. Let's have a listen to the goal of and the win of England. This is Euro Euro uh, 2020. England through to the final. Problem for Mela. Sterling's round the outside of him. Raheem Sterling. That's brilliant. He's Just mesmerising. I know all defenders can play when a penalty is given, but I'm not sure about the, the contact there on Sterling, but seems as though it has been given. Harry Kane has the football. So there it is. They are through to the final pandemonium in the streets, of course. I heard Ollie Geel this morning on uh, with Kingy and Sam over there on SEN in Melbourne, and he was in the streets outside the Wembley Stadium. He ducked in. He had a, a Denmark cap and a shirt on as well, but he had to duck in for safety to make the phone call. But he said uh, it was a great time for England football through to the final of Euro 2020. The man at the helm, Gareth Southgate. I felt calm 
in the lead up to the game because I felt that the players with what they've been through over the last few years were were ready and um, we you're never 100% sure how they'll react in those difficult moments but we have talked about it and they stayed calm um, I didn't think we kept the ball well enough through Denmark's pressure from their front three and we're going to have to do that better on Sunday because Italy are very good at it so um, we, need, we need to find better solutions with that um, but we found a way to win and we found a way to find the spaces further forward once we'd got into their half we were a threat all night um, all of our wide players Raheem, Bukayo, Jack, Phil when he came on Mason, you know, those players that got in between the lines or, or were in those one-against-one situations wide, um, it was, they were a real handful. And um, we managed to create good openings. I thought the goalkeeper for them had a, a, a fantastic game. He's a top goalkeeper. Um, but we found a way to win. Um, uh, the second half of extra time... I think it took us a while to realise actually just to keep the ball was the easiest way to, to finish the game off. It took us five minutes to work that out and then we, we got clued into it. So we invited more pressure in that initial period than we needed to. Um, but um, no, huge credit. These players have been immense from the, the first day we met up at Middlesbrough. The whole group, the boys that didn't make the final cut, the group that have been here together... Um, all of the staff, they deserve what's been a really special night. And the man at the helm, Gareth Southgate, England to play Italy on Monday morning our time. Nat Fife has spoken. Game 200 coming up uh, in the faraway place in Tasmania. They don't have a great record down there and they're playing the Hawthorne Football Club. We've had their own issues this week. The announcement Sam Mitchell was to have the handover from Alistair Clarkson from 2023 and beyond. Pretty uh, windy conditions and also distant conditions, of course, between the journalists and Nat Fife. So we have cut out the journalist questions, which doesn't make it all that easy because they were way off mic and you couldn't hear them. In this modern day of technology, you'd think there would be a better way. But here is the responses of Nat Fife, the captain of Fremantle, about to embark on game 200. Um, it's been... Um, an interesting week given we're not sure where we were going to play until a couple of days ago and then once we knew we were in Tasmania it was really focusing on getting down there and a good opportunity for our young group to get a win in Tasmania for me 200 games is a great chance for me to acknowledge all the people that have been a part of getting me this far I never thought I'd, um, I'd, I'd be able to last this long with my body and mind but really grateful for that and looking forward to playing a few more games still to come there ever a point where you thought 200 At different stages across the journey with major surgeries and concussion, it does creep into your mind, but overwhelmingly I've had uh, really good medical teams around me and good advice, knew with good preparation I'd always be able to string together um, a significant amount of games, and yeah, 200 is a nice little milestone. It's um, as good as it can be, uh, there's a little bit of looseness there, but I got through last week's game and hopefully week on week it's going to improve. Yeah, I do. I know there's some external hype about our club and there deserves to be, I think. We're an immature team still losing games that we probably should win. Um, but our best is good enough and we've got some key pillars in our coaching department and our playing group, which I think you're right, we can get back to playing significant finals footy in the coming years. Yeah, finals are still live. We've got to take care of business week on week. Um, with the uncertainty of where we're playing, where we get home games... It's really hard to try and forecast through to the end of the year. I mean, it'd be great for this group to be able to have the chance to play some finals footy. And 
But at the moment, it's Tasmania against the Hawks. We're looking to rebound from three quarters of good footy last week. We let ourselves down in the end. Um, but this weekend is all we're focused on. Early days, particularly once I got a bit bigger and stronger, I wanted to be that competitive beast, that combative attacking inside player. And as I've gotten older, I've tried to become more efficient and smarter the way I go about it. A bit like a Scott Pendlebury type player, but it hasn't really come to life for me. I find myself still this year, I've had a concussion, um, a loose shoulder and a number of other little niggles. So my game is my game. I think it makes sense just to stick to your strengths. I mean, the biggest evolution in my game has come from a new coach teaching us a different style of play. Um, from Ross to JL, there's been differences which have helped my, me evolve my football. Um, but mostly it's about picking and choosing your moments to be able to put yourself into carnage. When you look back at the 200, mate, what sticks out is... Oh, there's a number, mate. Debut game, first real finals push in 2013. 2015, we won nine or ten in a row at the start, and I had a great year. Um, and some later leadership games where I've sort of evolved as a leader working with some younger players, having David Mundy alongside me, there's lots of smiles throughout the 200 games. Do you think you'll have to change? Or if we see guys like Peter Danger, who's playing a lot more forward? Possibly. I'm not a great forward. Um, and I feel like my best footy's in the midfield. I can pinch hit there, but um, I'll keep playing to my strength for as long as I can and work within team balance. We've got some genuine guns coming through in our midfield. My job you are be to help nurture and mentor them through, but um, I've got no intention of winding off or winding down for the back end of my career. Definitely. Um, the game demands a lot, um, and staying motivated for 200 games or 12 years is as big a challenge as any. Um, so the evolution of me as a leader, my awareness, my Just understanding of preparation and performance um, is certainly not a finished product, but it's something that... Um, I'm quite grateful for having good leadership and mentors to get me to this point and look forward to what the next four or five years develops into. Nat Fife, the uh, captain of Fremantle, stepping out for game 200 on the weekend down there in Tassie. It's 18 away from 11. Now, afl.com.au, Frio forward sparks intrigue. Rory Lobb's future is clouded with rivals, believing the Fremantle forward is open-minded about a move to a third AFL club. The 28-year-old docker is contracted for another two years at Fremantle after landing from GWS on a five-year deal at the end of 2018. However, opposition clubs are of the view he could assess his options at the end of the season with Lobb having ties to Victoria. Now, we know that his ties are that um, I'm led to believe his partner, his family is over there in Victoria, of course, who were formerly connected to the Fremantle Football Club. Lobb is on a deal worth around $700,000 for the next two years through to the end of 2023. This is from the AFL.com.au. The financial element of any club making a move on Lobb is likely to be a factor in their considerations given many salary caps have been stretched this season and a significant number of players around the competition have been asked to defer payments due to its cuts imposed by the AFL last year. The Dockers recently landed an important contract extension for Sean Darcy, and they're waiting on an answer from Adam Chera. So there it is. Uh, David Money's been in brilliant form, looks like he'd delay retirement for another year. Darcy Tucker and Nathan Wilson are among Dockers without deals for 2022. So that is off the pen of Callum Toomey. We might get a breakaway if we can. We would get a breakaway. It's 16 away from 11. Well done to the team 
We've worked diligently behind the scenes. We've had a few technical problems, but we're still on air and we are still here. Sporting Goss, stay with us. 0487 736 736 if you wish to text. Did you take in any of the Wimbledon last night? If you did, what did you think of that? John, thank you, John. Love Wimbledon. Don't like Djokovic. Shame about Federer. Yes, Federer out in straight sets last night. Novak Djokovic. He had a bit to say in regards to being the bad guy of tennis and also chasing the uh, Grand Slam exploits of Federer and Nadal. What's it been like to be something of the bad guy chasing after Roger and Rafa all these years? I don't consider myself a bad guy, but I mean, it's your opinion, but uh, I'm not chasing anybody. I'm making my own path and my own journey and, you know, my own history. So I'm privileged to be part of the history of this sport that I that I love and as I said on the court I you know um, I know about a lot of stats I don't know about all of them but they do motivate me even more you know to to play my best tennis at the the, the events that count the most in our sport that is Novak Djokovic of course uh, yesterday was the announcement that Paddy Mills and Kate Campbell will be the flag bearers for the Australian team uh, in Tokyo. Here's Kate Campbell on receiving that honour. Oh, I think it's hard to put into words what this means and to receive uh, the flag from a legend like Dawn. She carried it at the closing ceremony at the Tokyo Olympics in 1964 and I just think that the symmetry and the poetry of that is just so wonderful. Um, brings a little tear to my eye. It is just such an honour and a privilege and I, I can't fully express that enough. Oh, look, it's right up there with amongst one of the you know, greatest things that has happened to me. Um, it's one thing to, to represent your country in a sport that you love and, and another thing to be able to represent your Olympians, uh, your fellow Olympians and, and the Olympic family that you become a part of. And that is an honour and a privilege that I do not take lightly and I am so, so humbled to be able to do. So it is Kate Campbell and Paddy Mills, also huge honour for him. Yeah, it's it's um, such a, an honour um, and a massive privilege uh, for me as a proud Gugara Nagyagal and Dawara Meriam man. Um, th- this is really special um, and just thankful for, for all the support um, up until this moment. But um, yeah, it, it's something that I won't be able to, to put into words uh, what I'm feeling right now. Paddy Mills, Kate Campbell, the flag bearers in Tokyo for Australia. Adam Simpson has just spoken to the assembled media, had a bit to say. Here's the best three minutes of the Eagles coach. Uh, well, it was a bit different. We're in, we're in Melbourne, so uh, good in a way because we, um, we got to spend the day, in, in particular with the coaches as well, trying to review the game. Um, we spoke to the players um, Monday night and then um, Tuesday morning we trained and then we got back Tuesday night. So... Yeah, we've uh, we've reviewed the game and we've um, now we're preparing for North. Well, a lot of it's got to do with effort and work rate, so it's pretty evident. Um, it's hard to execute a style of play or um, you know how to defend opposition if uh, if we can't bring that. So our players are aware of that. Um, trying to tap into why we were so poor um, for for two weeks. I mean, ten days ago we were in a pretty good position. So um, working through. Uh, the why is something we're working on and um, continue to work on our method. Well, it was just inconsistent the last couple of weeks. So, um, yep, it's, um, it's something that we've got to get a hold of. Um, you know, that um, ability to 
perform every week is, is important. We've been pretty good at it for a long period of time. So disappointing on the weekend. It was so off compared to Sydney. So, yep, there's, uh, there's no excuse for it. We've just got to get um, be aware of it and get on with it. And have you had to put anything in place to protect the play group from the backlash since, since the weekend? Because on social media and talkback radio and things like that, there's been a lot. Have you had to put anything in place to protect that? Uh, not really. I mean, <clears throat> trying to... Control that is really difficult. Um, you know, players and people live off their phones and social media, so um, trying to separate yourself from that is difficult, uh, especially with young young men. So, um, yeah, look, we've always had high expectations and our fans and members have high expectations and I suppose that's where you want to be, that's where you want to live. So um, you've got to take the good with the bad, but at the same time I, I'd encourage them, and I have, not to read everything because um, that can get dangerous too. And, and for you personally, I guess there's been even people saying that perhaps your game plan is outdated and you need to evolve. What, what do you think about that? Oh, it's, it's an honest question, I suppose. But, I mean, if the effort and work rate's not there, then it's hard to execute your method. Um, but we've still got to look at the method as well. So we're always doing that. Um, you know, we have a pretty... Um, honest conversation about that, but it's, it's hard to judge. After the Richmond game, we were looking okay. That was two games ago, so we've really been exposed the last couple of weeks, so it's a, it's a good reminder that um, nothing is as good or as bad as it seems. So we'll, we'll look at it without jumping the gun too much. But, um, yeah, we need to perform in a more consistent level to really judge our style of play. trying to do on Sporting Goss is open up our mind to all the sports and of course motorsport is a big part of our Australian sporting menu and Tom Randall, Thomas Randall as we like to call him, rising star, has won plenty on the way in his career. He's the reigning Super 2 champion and he's come highly recommended as being across all things motorsport and we want to make Tom, Thomas, Randall, Randy, call him whatever you like, a regular on the Sporting Goss. Thanks for joining us mate. Thanks, Goss. Pleasure to be here and an amazing intro. I might have to get you to write that one down and I can use it use it elsewhere, I reckon. <laughs> what are we going with? Thomas? Tom? Randy? TR? What do you got? What's your nickname? Oh, well, well, Dave Reynolds has called me T. Randall, but I, I reckon you can call me... Call me Tom. I, Tom. I like that. Okay, we'll keep it simple. That. We'll keep it simple. Just yeah. in a nutshell, Tom, let us know about the the driving career. Are currently a driver. Let us know about uh, your form, who you drive with, and uh, and how often you're on the circuit. So currently, I'm I'm driving for Tickford Racing in the the Repco Supercar Championship. This year, I'm only doing a few rounds. I'm a wild card entry, so I'm doing three of the twelve rounds, and then at the, at the back end of the year, I'll be doing the Bathurst 1000 with the team as a co-driver. And then for 2022, next year, I'll be stepping up with the team full-time. So a few exciting things coming my way, which is, is pretty cool, and I just can't wait to, to get stuck into it next year. But focusing on the rest of this year, I had my last round at Darwin a few weeks ago with the supercars, and supercars are back this weekend, actually. So... Looking forward to watching that one on the couch. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, missing out on the, the warm weather up there, unfortunately. Melbourne can 
Pretty darn cold this time of year. So Melbourne-based. Tom Randall is going to be our motorsport expert uh, whenever we have to go to the well to talk about uh, cars, bikes, the whole shooting match. You mentioned Bathurst. Have you driven the Bathurst 1000 before? I have. I've done that twice before. So I raced it last year with Nick Perkett, and then the year before I raced it with Lee Holdsworth. And, folks, I'll tell you what, if, if you've never been there before, you've got to get there at some point in your life because... It, the TV just doesn't do it justice. The atmosphere, the elevation change, the topography. If you get a chance to walk the circuit or even do a lap in your in your car, it'll blow your mind. So definitely one to one to get to, and it's it's a, a major bucket list item in my eyes. Are the are the streets of the circuit? You know, um, uh, Conrod Strait and whatever they call, uh, whatever the main is. That, what's the main? What's the main bit that goes down the back straight? The really long bit where they absolutely fang it. What's that place called? Yeah, yeah Conrod Strait. Yeah. yeah. So we reach. We actually do reach three hundred. They they always say it's three hundred, and people sometimes think, oh, are they just are they just rounding up? But no, we are definitely reaching three hundred. So it's it's pretty mental because that's that's really one of the fastest corners of the chase. When, when you get into the chase, it's one of the fastest corners, not just in Australian motorsport, but in worldwide motorsport. And especially when you're going through there in a in a car that weighs 1,400 kilos and doesn't have the wings like a Formula One car, so it's it's pretty nuts. And, and then if you're right behind someone else, it, it gets uh, even crazier. So, like I said, if you can get down there, see the track, you can get up the top of the mountain or even head down to the chase. It's it's, a, it's an amazing sight. Oh, we're going to have a renewed interest then in the Bathurst 1000 with our man Tom Randall. We will just know you might be, you know, like uh, you might be able to stick it on the car as you go down. You know, sporting goss. Uh, you know, we just you just you never know, Tommy. We might be able to use you as a walking, talking, uh, uh, moving board of uh, of advertising. Hey, can I just can you please mention you are a great story and and you come highly recommended from a good a, a mutual friend of ours and a man that I've known for a long time. Tim Hodges, and for those who don't know, he's a motorsport tragic, but also he's the brains behind AFL 360, and I mean the brains behind AFL 360. It's his concept, and he does a great job. You've had your own battles in recent times. Um, You had testicular cancer, and and you've combated that, I'm led to believe, and you did that while claiming the Super 2 title. That is no mean feat. No, thank you. It was a very challenging year last year, trying to go through that, battle that, and and then trying to keep focus on the racing, and also during that COVID-affected period. So it was amazing to win that, that series given the circumstances that I'd been dealt with. So I'm just very, very happy to be on the other side of that. But in the same aspect, I feel very lucky that I was able to recover from that because there's so many people that don't get that fate. So, yeah, uh, I've actually just taken a position with the department that treated me, the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. I'm now on the board to the Youth Cancer Action Board, which is a Victorian and Tasmanian service. So we're able to help make decisions to sort of improve other cancer uh, people, people who are diagnosed with cancer, improve their experience. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that as well. Brilliant stuff. Tom Randall, our guest, we're talking motorsport. So, Tom, just to, as we introduce you to our listening audience, um, you talked about the, the V8s or the supercars being back. You're also, uh, you're across the F1, I'm sure we all are, and we're very proud of Daniel Ricciardo. He produced his best uh, drive for some time in the McLaren uh, on the weekend, of course. 
we're seeing a changing phase in, in F1, aren't we? We're seeing probably the end of the absolute dominance of Mercedes, and that's only going to increase with changes in the next 12 months. Absolutely, and, and it's funny you say that because uh, Christian Horner was interviewed not too long ago and, and he was asked, are you, have you stopped developing or focusing on 2020, and uh, sorry, in 2021, and are you concentrating on 2022? And he said, no, we've always got to concentrate on the next race because you're only as good as your last race. And then you look at Toto Wolff, the, the head of Mercedes, and he said, oh, we've, we've stopped sort of focusing on 2021. We're just worrying about the new rules for 2022. And whether that's a bit of an excuse for, for their, their lack of speed and pace, but certainly the, the Mercedes isn't really looking like the dominant car at the moment. The Red Bull has won the last four Grand Prix now with with Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez with his amazing win at Baku. That was mm. a drama-filled race. But it seems like, it, like you said, a bit of a changing of the guard and Verstappen's been with the Red Bull team now for, for a few years uh, since 2016. So, uh, you know, it's certainly he's matured as a driver and he's now over a race clear in points in the championship. So he's got a little bit of room up his sleeve to, you know, if he has a bad result, but certainly the Red Bull car is being quite strong. And the, the next track they go to, which is next weekend, the Silverstone circuit, is also going to be... Uh, another interesting weekend. It's going to be a spanner in the mix because they're trying a new format. It's now there's now going to be a sprint race mm. before they go into like the Grand Prix. So there'll be practice on the Friday with qualifying on the Friday, and then Saturday we practice two, and then the sprint race followed by the Grand Prix on Sunday. So something we haven't seen in F1 for well, I can't even remember. If, never done something like this before. The Dutch fans have come to Austria to see him win again. Uh, they came, they saw, he conquered. Max Verstappen wins the Austrian Grand Prix. Yeah, it's exciting times. I uh, I get bunked up on the on the lounge with my daughter, who's an absolute F1 nuffy, and we uh, we don't miss a minute. It makes it hard when we get to bed, albeit we've got the massive advantage being in WA. We get two hours up our sleeve, but when you have to do breakfast radio the next day, uh, and I do it with uh, Adam Gilchrist, Gillian Goss here on SEN, uh, we both come in absolutely fatigued by Monday morning, so we have to <laughs> plough through it. We don't want to miss a minute of it. Just in summary, before we let you go, and we're chatting with Tom Randall. We're going to get to know Tom uh, on the show here on Sporting Goss. He's going to cover off all things motorsport with us each and every uh, week, of course. Um, let's have a listen to uh, our man, of course, Lando Norris, who had this to say about being on the podium, whether it was sweat or champagne. No, I felt quicker. That's champagne. Oh, okay. Oh. Ouch, ouch. I didn't sweat. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a breath of fresh air, isn't he, Lando Norris? And he is bona fide a world champion in the making. Absolutely. I mean, I actually got the opportunity to race against Lando when I was over in the UK running British F3. And you could see that he, he certainly had the talent to make it all the way. And he had the, the right people behind him. He had, he had the right support. And... He certainly, I think, winning the fan and the crowd and that, that cheeky comment where he, where he uh, said about <laughs> all those orange fans come out to see me, not, not Max. <laughs> I, I had to laugh. And he really, I think, has got on top of that McLaren. Yeah. I think with Daniel, Daniel's just lacking a bit in qualifying at the moment. He seems to be able to race well. And he, he's always been able to race well. It's just that qualifying speed. He, I, I don't think he's been able to extract the maximum out of that McLaren, whereas Lando... Yeah, just can get on top of it. I mean, he nearly he nearly snaps pole position off Max Verstappen. So 
it was I think it was half a tenth between himself and Max Verstappen. So that McLaren has, has really come on form. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen them at, at the pointy end and, and so consistently. Lando's already uh, surpassed his total points score from last year and they've only done, I think, seven races. So it's certainly been a strong start to the season for him and, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes at his home race next weekend. Unfortunately, can't come home for the race uh, this year. It hurts. I know we're all looking forward to it and particularly myself to, to race in Melbourne again. But um, look, we got to keep our chin up, look forward. Hopefully in 2022 it can happen. And I'm sure by then it will be bigger, better and more beautiful than ever. And before we let you go, no Grand Prix in Melbourne, which is really disappointing um, because of COVID. No bikes as well. Jack Miller's had his say. We've just heard from Daniel Ricciardo. What's your views? You live in Melbourne. What will it do to the landscape of the Australian sporting uh, public over there? Well, it's yeah, certainly incredibly disappointing. I mean, we, we missed out on it last year. Well, we actually started with it, and then it, it was cancelled on the Friday morning, as, as we all remember. And, yeah, it, like I said, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a shame because they've just done all these track upgrades and resurfaced a lot of parts of the track ready for the Grand Prix, and and now it won't go ahead. But it, it's so difficult with the, the quarantining phase because Formula One just can't afford, and MotoGP can't afford to spend the two weeks in quarantine when the schedule is so compact at the end of the year. I mean, they're trying to fit in 21 races across the year. So I can understand from that point of view. But, yeah, certainly very disappointing. I'm, I'm just looking forward to having it having it again next year and, and seeing all the awesome sport categories that, that we get as well, the supercars, hopefully the S5000. But, yeah, everyone wants to see the Formula 1 back in Australia and also the MotoGP. There's nothing quite like the MotoGP is still a violent. It is an amazing spectacle and it will be dearly missed this year, unfortunately. Thanks for joining us, Tom. We'll do it again uh, every couple of weeks here on the show. We love our motorsport in the West and uh, you're across everything. You're a current driver. We're looking forward to having a new man that we can cheer at Bathurst 1000. Thanks for joining us. Great start to uh, your time here on SEN Sporting Goss. Thanks, Goss. Appreciate it. Welcome back to Sporting Gossip and a lot of football spoken about on the show so far. Let's turn our attention to the Fremantle Football Club and a, a young man who played at the Dockers between 2011 and 2013. Well, he played six senior games between that time. Josh Mellington, he's making a name for himself still in footy circles back there in Victoria. Josh, appreciate your time. Uh, where do we find you right now? Uh, I'm currently in Benalla, mate. Benalla, Victoria, in a uh, little town northeast of Victoria. That's where I was born and bred. I'm, uh, yeah, currently residing here and playing footy at um, Violet Town, mate, my uh, my junior club. Your junior club, Violet Town, and they, you've certainly, uh, well, producing the goods for them. We saw with interest recently a 27-goal performance. Uh, can stand corrected, 27-1? No, I kicked uh, I kicked twenty seven three, um, and I um, my first shot on goal I shanked out in the full by about twenty yards. So um, <laughs> after that, mate, I sort of hit me straps pretty well and um, started kicking pretty straight. Let our listeners know about the standard of the Kyabran Districts Football Competition. Of course, uh, very much Gary Lyon country, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's definitely um, one of the. Um, country league here in northeast Victoria, um, just below the uh, Ovens and Murray and Golden Valley leagues. Uh, they're the two major leagues up this way, and then 
yeah, head down to the Kyberum District Footy League. So it's um yeah, it's a good good little comp and um we've uh started we started the season pretty shaky. We were one and three to start the year and then, then we've won five of our last six. So um we're just starting to get in some form and hopefully take it into the uh latter part of the season. Over 100 goals already in nine games. Josh Mellington, our guest, playing for Violet Town over there in country Victoria. 27 goals. I'm going to ask a dumb question. Is that the most you've ever kicked in a game? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it was funny because I'd, I'd, most goals I'd kicked in a, in a game was the week before. I kicked 17 the week before. And then I'd uh, I'd gone one better this week, which is nice. So, um, yeah, just uh, we've started getting hitting some form and um, I'm just a beneficiary of the uh you know the midfielders getting to work and uh jamming the ball down my throat all day, Tim. No one cares about what the team mate, to be honest. No one cares about who's <laughs> kicking it to you, Joshy. I know you're trying to be very humble and trying to do team first. Just talk about the twenty seven. Uh, the full backs that you're playing on, was there more than one? Did they make a change at some stage and was there any conversation when you'd probably had kicked a lazy twenty seven, was there any conversation between you and uh, and the Oppo? Yeah, the well, the guy I was playing on initially, he um, early in the second quarter, we sort of got in a bit of a tangle, and he, he, I think his finger got caught in my jumper, and I looked, I heard him sort of yelp, and I turned around, his finger was really badly dislocated. I'm not sure if the bone was out of the skin, but it was, it didn't look didn't look well, and he obviously went off after that, and then I had maybe two or three opponents post that, so. Um, Yes, I think I maybe had three or four for the day. Um, late in the last quarter, they were obviously trying to stop me from getting my 100, and they sort of um, dropped too, too loose behind the ball and just tried to clog it up. But <laughs> luckily, uh, the boys were good enough to still still find me and um, and get me there. So you got your 100. So how many have you got again? How many have you got so far? Uh, 101. Yeah. So when you got to the 100, um, did the crowd run on the ground? Were there horns tooting, lights yeah. flashing? Yeah, there was... Um, Two's boys were behind the goals and they um they had a fair bit of juice in them by that stage, and uh, yeah they all ran out and um, covered me in cigarettes and, and grog and all that sort of jazz. So um yeah it's um it was definitely uh quite an interesting moment, but um yeah it was a, it was it was quite a good day. It was the 125 year celebration of the footy club, so there was a lot of old members there and um, past Premiership players etc. So um. So it was a good day for the footy club. Uh, the urn, are you paid per goal? Oh, I wish, Tim. <laughs> no, mate, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, amazing, amazing. But this is not the first time. Uh, you, you, and I know you've gone back, you just mentioned at the start that you've gone back to Violet Town to play with your junior footy club, but kicking big bags of goals and, and reaching the ton is not new to you. It's not the first time. No, it's um, I think this is the fourth fourth time now. So um, wow. yeah, so I've uh, been pretty blessed to be in some pretty pretty top notch sides that have um, that have fed me quite well. So um, yeah, I mean it's as you know, being a forward, it's always you sort of dictated to by you know your midfielders and how and how they're going up the ground. So I've just been pretty pretty lucky that I've been in some good sides. Josh Bellington, our guest. All right, let's have a snapshot of the journey that was at Fremantle in, the, well, some, what is it now, 10, 11, 10, 9, 8 years ago, of course, at Fremantle, where you were there in 20, played senior footy in 2011, 12 and 13. Interesting stats for you. Played four games since Subi Oval. You won all four. You played two games on the road and you lost both. It really sort of, not much has changed with uh, Frio. They do find it tough to win on the road, but they're very good at home. 
Yeah, obviously both Perth sides are, um, as you know, Tim, being over there in, in Perth, it's a, it's a fair way away and, and uh, you know, it's obviously tough for sides to come over and then on the Versa, it's, um, it's you know, quite challenging to, to go away and win from home. So, um, yeah, obviously Freo have um, improved a lot this year and they've got some young, good up-and-coming players and, you know, hopefully they potentially can still scrape into the eight. Was it a good time for you? You're only a young fellow when you came over. I think you were 18 just, and then you left before uh, before your 21st birthday. I mean, although you did go to West Perth and play in a flag up there, but in regards to your AFL career, um, gee, they didn't. Uh, you didn't stick around too long. Were you disappointed that you didn't get more out of it? Oh yes and no. I think when I was in Perth, mate, I um, off field had a, had a few issues, and you know my head probably wasn't in a great great place and um, being you know so far away from home probably didn't help and and uh, you know it probably took me till I was you know 25 or 26 to sort of work through the issues that I had and um, get the support I needed and and, um, and get back on track so I'm pretty thankful now I mean yeah. as you know mate footy's only a small part of your life and, and when I was playing in the AFL mate I wasn't in a great head space and and, um, and had a few few issues and um yeah, I mean, it's good now that I've sort of got back on top of it and, you know, around family and friends. They've sort of wrapped, wrapped their arms around me and, and got me on, back on track. So um, I think, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're young, you, you know, you're very susceptible to, to uh, being easily led and, and getting, you know, led down the wrong path. And, um, you know, unfortunately for me, I sort of took the wrong route and ended up with a few issues. But, um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there and, and um, you know, have nothing... You know, praise for the footy club and how they supported me through through the times. You know, when I was there. Uh, good on you, Josh. Well spoken. Uh, do you have uh, stay in touch with any of your former Fremantle teammates or West Perth teammates? Yeah, I've obviously stay in touch with a few of the guys that I that I lived with when I was there. Um, you know, Viv Michi. Um, I caught up with Alex Mahoney a couple of years ago. So um, yeah, definitely keep in touch with a few of the guys and and um, you know and see where they're at. Who do you barrack for in the AFL? Uh, I'm a Footscray fan, so um, yeah, I was a Footscray boy before I was drafted, and now I uh, I'm sort of back, you know, between Freo and, and the Doggies. I just um, yeah, I sort of sort of split between those two, mate. I think they're the real deal, the Bulldogs, aren't they? Yeah, I think they are. Hopefully, so um, they can get Norton fit and firing and not landing on his head every yeah. time he jumps for the ball. <laughs> they should be fine. Uh, so, who have Violet Town got next, Josh? Uh, we're playing Stanhope this week, uh, third and fourth, so it should be a uh, good, good test this week to see where, where we're at. And you're expecting, a, uh, you know, the loose man, two loose men in front of you, blocking your space? Oh, look, I'd like to say no, but I dare say they will be. So, um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, if we can ball gets sit up nice and high, we can put the knee straight through the back of the loose defender and maybe get rid of him early on. Oh, nice work. I like it. Yeah, that's very Norton. Hey, mate, appreciate your time. Congratulations. Good chat. And, uh, again, thanks for taking our call. And uh, happy, happy bricklaying, whatever you're doing right now. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. Josh Mellington joining us fresh from 27 goals for Violet Town. Wonderful chat and great story of resilience as well. Had his battles, admitted his battles in his time in WA as a young man, but has certainly uh, gone on leaps and bounds and, and in a good place now, which is fantastic to hear. This is the Sporting Goals. Welcome back. 29 away from 12. Tim Gossage with you on Sporting Goss. News through 
that Jamara Yugo Hagen has been named to make his debut for the Western Bulldogs, the long-awaited youngster who uh, has, well, I don't think he's been setting the world on fire in the VFL, but they're not going to know at what stage he's going to be quite ready, I think, and he gets a chance on the back of Aaron Norton being out with concussion. That's still to come. Don't forget, tomorrow, Friday, Focus, Adam Gilchrist after 7 o'clock on Gilly and Goss. Adam Simpson will join us. We might check in also with Andrew Gaze, one-time flag bearer for the Australian Olympic team. There's got to be some protocols in regards to being the flag bearer. Paddy Mills, another basketballer carrying a flag, of course, and Kate Campbell. And, um, yeah, we might check in with Gazy tomorrow on the show. Also, always on Derby. How does that work? Gillian Goss, all you have to do is tell us Eagles and Dockers are playing each other each and every week in the Always On Derby. All you have to do is tell us who's going to kick the highest score, come up with the scores, basically Eagles by 80, uh, sorry, Eagles 80, Dockers 64, therefore you think Eagles win by 16 points. That's as easy as it is. All righty. That's what we need to know right here, right now. 13, 12, 55 or 0, 4, 8, 7, 7, 3, 6, 7, 3, 6. Always on Derby being Monday night footy. We're fully aware of that, but uh, we will still be doing the always on Derby for the weekend. And we'll just hold it over and we'll announce the winner on Sporting Goss on Tuesday morning. You can get in touch with us. 0487 736 Always on Derby. Get your pen and paper ready. Of course, no Belmont races yesterday. They are racing at Pinjarra today. First race actually goes in about six minutes' time. It's an early start there. They are racing at Pinjarra. And there is plans, of course, to return to racing at Belmont on Saturday on a rain-affected track. Riley Morgan, the life of Riley, has done the early form. Get your pen and paper ready. He is a very good form student. Write down his tips and his reasons. That is on the way. This is... Thursday's edition of Sporting Goss. Ah, the opener, Life of Riley. We're talking racing on Saturday. Well, are we? We've had plenty of wet weather. We saw Belmont was uh, uh, called off yesterday, of course. 27 mils in the last 24 hours, 79 mils in the last seven days. Heavy eight for now. Let's go to our man, Riley Morgan. Where have you gone to try and find form? What are we expecting over the next 48 hours before they jump, if they jump at Belmont? Well, mate, the uh, the track probably won't have any chance to dry out from the current heavy eight, given even more rain hit overnight. And with the chilly weather conditions, not to mention with more rain expected tomorrow, we're looking at probably a heavy eight, heavy nine, and what looks to be a very testing surface underfoot. And one thing is for certain, you're going to be looking to those horses who can swim as a heavy track is definitely going to be a different ball game. All righty, and let's get through your best. And this is just the early form. This is Riley Morgan, Life of Riley, each and every Thursday here on the Sporting Goss. The boy knows his stuff. Just in summary, how did you go last week? Week before, Yeah, last week. I think you'll be uh, I think you'll be hard pressed, Goss, to find any punters that had a real day out last <laughs> week at Belmont. It was a it was a very tough day at the office, mate. All righty, well, yeah, you're only as good as your last one, and you weren't very good in the last one. So here's a go, Morgan. Exactly. Lift your game. You're going for Simon Miller. He's got a he's got a, he's got a first up. Uh, he's got a, a, a horse having its first start in the two year old race in race two. 
Yeah, you can never have any real conviction over two-year-olds on heavy tracks or even seeing rain-affected decks for the first time. But I just wanted to bring some attention to this Simon Miller debutant, It's a Ray Day. It's a really nice trial out of a sire-winning Rupert that so far in the breeding game has been producing winners on winners from a very small progeny. We saw another of his go around at Hawkesbury last week on debut and win on a heavy track by four lengths. And so far, his have acquitted themselves very well on rain-affected surfaces. He looked to have really come on in his trial racing manners between his first and second trials. He looked like he could have won his most recent hit out to my eye by five lengths if Cash Faithful had so much as even clicked him up. And if he can exit cleanly and take up a spot tucked away in behind the leaders here, ideally leaders back, he looks a really talented horse. And I don't think the wet track's going to worry him being out of winning route, but... All right, race two, number six. It's a Ray Day for the Miller Camp. Your next comes in race three. Now, this is a horse who's not been on a heavy track, has got some wet track form. I'm talking about Classy Macro. Stephen Rowe puts Christy Bennett on. Uh, I think this might be the very first time she's ridden the horse. And the interesting thing is she's in rare form, Christy Bennett. She is. Uh, it's probably one of the weaker races of the day, but we're looking for horses that can obviously handle the heavy track well. And I feel Classy Macro is one that can definitely measure up here. If we, look, if we look back through his form in his two wins in his career to date, he pantsed his maiden field by seven lengths on a soft seven and spanked dual subsequent winner goes to walks on a soft track in a class one. What we know is that he's a swimmer and his fresh effort here was super, I thought. He endured a torrid run, was off the track for the entirety and still loomed as a winner before just peaking a fraction on his run late when not able to gun down speedy miss, sorry, snippy miss. He'll definitely be better for coming through that run the map's a little sticky again, but I'm hoping Bennett can follow OBH across and land somewhere near the top without being posted deep again. And although the horse is a bit of an enigma and can be hard to trust at times, I think he looks a nice bet in a race that lacks a lot of depth. All righty. Race three, number six, a classy macro play that each way. Life of Riley on a Thursday morning here on Sporting Goss. Now, you're a big fan of the Stephanie Bakrinich yard. You do like one in race four, and you also actually think you should be playing, probably having a look at another one from the very powerful Grant and Alana Williams camp. Yeah, Goss. The first horse I wanted to touch on here is playing Marika. She won with a hint of arrogance last week on the seven-day backup, which has been a very successful formula for her before, and Steph Bakrinich is attempting it here again, so she must have come through that run really well. She's won on a soft seven, so I'm pretty confident she's going to get through the ground. And to be honest, she just finds another race if she's bounced out of last week where she's honestly going to be every chance again here. There's only one real speed influence here, which means she can just roll forward at her own leisure and park in behind Gates of Babylon in this small field and cruise up to him when Lucy presses the button. All righty. And you, the, other, yeah, the other one? Yeah, the other I just wanted to touch on is Zaratite. This Grant Alana Williams stayer comes here for his second run in near on two years after pushing Strickland Stakes winner Naughty by Nature to within half a length at his first run. It was really squeezed tight late there when Naughty by Nature laid in on him and I believe he would have made even more of a finish of it with clearer galloping room late. We're always cautious of a horse second up, particularly a month between first and second up runs after having such a considerably long time away from the races. But spacing his runs, if you look a bit deeper through his form as a formula that's worked for him before, in a race devoid of any real speed outside Gates of Babylon, we saw him roll forward to sit in the breeze first up, and I don't see any reason why they don't press on early from the awkward draw again here to land in a very similar position. For me, I think you can play around either of those. More than likely, I'll be backing playing Marika and saving on Zaratite. All righty, play Marika Zaratite there for Life of Riley.
ATM was backed off the map. Did you get a piece of the $61 and you like it in race seven on the program? I got a piece of it, Goss, but sadly there are a few punters with faster fingers than me on the day. <laughs> he, uh, he really lived up to his namesake fresh, didn't he? Unbelievable. ATM's the name of the horse. Uh, it And it never looked like getting beat. And how was it missed on its trial form? How was this horse missed on its trial form down at Larkhill? It won its trial. Everyone said, wow. It beat Tambora. It went to Pinjarra. Someone said it was out as much as $61, $51. It jumped about $6. Everyone said it really was like queuing up at an ATM. It really was, Goss. It was as you have stated already, one of the more impressive trials you'll see. So the uh, $71 was definitely a chunk of overs there wow. for sure. Um, the race, that race is only a class three, but sometimes the way a horse wins, you just sort of take a step back and think to yourself like, wow, this is a horse that's going to move through the grades. He hadn't seen anything remotely close to galloping room until about the 200 metre mark. And once he found that split, he put four legs on him in the blink of an eye. He's become practically a brand new horse under the carings of Greg Cave. He's an absolute swimmer, and although drawn out wide, it isn't such a bad thing as, I, as he finds a race where they're going to be absolutely going like the clappers out in front, and it keeps him out of trouble. I have no doubt that if they can make ground down the middle of, of the track on the day, he can peel out and be the one thundering over the top of these lakes. All right, you've also touched on mastering. We're running short of time uh, today, Riles, but we do want to touch on the feature, the Bofine, which is the listed Bofine. And, uh, well, he had the choice of rides, did uh, uh, Chris Parnham, and he's decided to go to Amoncinas for Simon Miller. Willie Pike, the backup jockey, <laughs> gets Miss Contiki. Yeah, I've landed on Amoncinas without a huge deal of confidence with uh, the decision of Chris Parnham to stick with her over Miss Contiki. She's just a ripper, mate. She's a winner. And from the gate, I really don't think Chris has to go right back to the tail, likely where I think Miss Kentucky might find herself. And he can take up a spot midfield with cover, blending into the race at the right time. Miss Kentucky's going to have to run past her, which nothing's been able to do at her last six starts. And to my eye, she really appreciated getting her toe into the ground on the softer track last time out, when winning with arrogance in spades after yet another betting drift. Chris is a great judge, an even better jockey, and think at the price differential to the stable mate, Amasinas is a better bet for me, and simply winners win. Absolutely. Race two, it's a Ray Day. Race three, classy macro. Race four, play, play, Marika and Zaratite. Race seven, ATM with a touch also on mastering, which could be the value. And in the Bowfine, you're going with Chris Panama on Amasinas. Very popular segment last week. It's always building. Thanks for your time, Ross. Thanks for having me again, Goss. Cheers, mate. Riley Morgan, Life of Riley on Sporting Goss. Nine away from 12, and I can tell you that tomorrow morning, Friday Focus with Gillian Goss. Uh, about 7 o'clock this happens, of course. Gilly goes one-on-one with a big name in sport. He's playing his cards very close to his chest tomorrow, of course. It'll be interesting. It's for our wonderful friends at Otis Eyewear uh, to give Australian premium mineral glass glasses, sunglasses that... Uh, Look good and stand up to the Aussie beach, bush and sporting conditions. That's right. Welcome aboard, Otis. If you want to know more about the Otis Eyewear range, visit otiseyewear.com or you can follow them on socials at Otis Eyewear. That's O-T-I-S, Otis Eyewear. The WA boys, they were down in our breakfast with our Bunbury audience a couple of weeks ago. Do a great job. So welcome aboard to the wonderful team at Otis Eyewear. Sponsors of the Friday Focus. Mick Malthouse was interviewed yesterday uh, in regards to...
transitioning from one coach to another. Of course, he was a part of that, well, fair to say it was a bungled dis- uh, changeover with Nathan Buckley. Big Malthouse. The way I see it is two presidents panicked, not wanting to lose uh, former champions. He'd be feeling the pinch, make no mistake about it. We're all human. Um, you've got to take a backward step. The new bloke comes in, he takes that step, and he becomes part of that election process more than you do. So you tend to get bypassed, and, that, and that's, that's very, very difficult. So that's Big Boldhouse talking about presidents panicking, i.e. Collingwood, Eddie Maguire, and Hawthorne Jeff Kennett with the situation with Clarkson and Sam Mitchell. On Footy Classified last night, Eddie Maguire responded accordingly. Eddie, you said Jeff jumped. Well, Mick Moldhouse was interviewed today and he said Jeff panicked just like you did back <laughs> a number of years ago. Here's Mick yeah. Moldhouse speaking today. Yeah. The similarities, the way I see it, is two uh, presidents panicked, not wanting to lose uh, former champions. Um, and that places the coach in Clarkson's case here um, in a really difficult position. Uh, the major difference, of course, is the Hawthorne on the you know, near the bottom, uh, Collingwood were in the eight fighting out for, you know, premiership. So, so, that's, so that's a, that's probably the most subtle difference. Ed panicked, and Collingwood are also right at the top compared to. Yeah, so I'll go back to Jeff Bejos and says, announced from a position of strength. Let me tell you once and for all what happened. Okay, I loved Mick Malthouse. I was accused at the time of being too loyal to him, if you remember all that, Caro, that I was sticking by him all the way because he rebuilt our club twice and saved the Collingwood Football Club. There's been no bigger figure, I believe, than Mick Malthouse in his tenure as coach of Collingwood. I thought there were things happening in Mick's life. I thought his health and I thought that of the stress of the job. He talks about it even today, about the aspect of what happened at Carlton and around the place, even at West Coast, even at the dogs, about the impact on the family. I could see that. I had a meeting with his manager, Peter Sidwell, and I said, how do you think our boy's going? And he said, yeah, I'm a bit worried about him. I said, yep, so am I. What do you reckon? We kicked around some ideas over a couple of meetings. One of the things we came up with was, how do we get the best out of Mick Malthouse for the long term? We came up with an idea that part of that would be coaching and then it would be a chairman of selectors type role, even coming onto the board of the Collingwood Football Club. If I had my way, Mick Malthouse would still be at Collingwood and we would have got through it. Now, Mick got halfway, we got two years into it and he did a great job. Preliminary final, premiers, grand final, right? But the next period he decided, no, I still want to go on. We knew the fire was burning. To your point, Caro, as soon as that happened, I let him out of his contract. He had three years going. Now, people don't sign a five-year contract unless they're all in on it. Did you announce it at the time? I can't remember. Yes, absolutely. Yes, so it was a press Two conference. years plus three. But that's all right. But that's it. And you know what I said? Mate, we deserve to do whatever you want to do. We let him out of the contract. As Lee Matthews, when they spoke to, a, to him about a succession plan with Michael Voss, he couldn't agree on the, the leaving date. Senior champion coaches like that often just can't do it. So and, it's and not the point was, Caro, when we did it, the idea was, I didn't care whether it was Nathan Buckley, uh, Brad Scott was in the frame, he went to North Melbourne at the time, and uh, you know even James Hurd was floating around in my mind, but the situation for me was this, we were strong. I'm sick of, I've been to every press conference for a sack coach for 20 odd years, and you see, new coach comes in, they throw out the fitness people, they throw out the recruiting people, it goes back to year zero. I didn't want to use... According to Mick, a lot of ex-players think that it cost you another flag. Oh, well, well, I could argue that there was things happening that I didn't like where the club was moving and I stopped it, OK? Not for tonight, if, but for another you, day. If... 
It's Eddie Maguire on Footy Classified last night. We were about to hear from Ross Lyon, also on Footy Classified last night, in regards to the Clarko decision and the passion of coach. We'll get to that in a moment. Then we're going to leave you with one minute and eight seconds of pure joy. It's coming home. Now, that's the soccer song that England is, uh, well, it's just, it's being played out throughout England. They are in the final of the Euro 2020. So we're going to show play that to go out on. So if you're a soccer fan, an England soccer fan, a football fan, you know that on Monday morning, Perth time, it will be England versus Italy. And we will leave you with the song that we open the show with. It's a ripper. It will make you feel good. Even if you're not a football round ball fan, you will still enjoy it very much. Here's Ross Lyon on Footy Classified about the Clarko decision. The dominoes have fallen, haven't yeah. they? They've started. And it all revolves, and it rightly so, he's, he's the eminent coach of our time. He's delivered the Hawthorne Football Club four premierships with help, administration, great players. Four premierships in 18 years. Let's say it again. Four in 18. Some have won one in 72 years. So he, he, is, he should be sought after. He should be coveted. I think it is bold. Not something I would have done. I think they, for whatever he's... You can't say he's out of form. I think he's coached spectacularly well mm. this year with the limitations. No, I yeah. And I would be diving into, well, if there's a problem, what is it? Because it's not his coaching. And work in that landscape. Because Jason Dunstall knows him better than anyone and said he has the passion to coach. So, therefore, if you're Carlton and Collingwood, you go bang. That's my view. That is the show for this Thursday as the rain tumbles down again in Perth. Thanks to Chris Clafunas. Thanks to Alex. Thanks to the team. We did have some technical problems. We stayed on air. We just treaded water. And, uh, but if you have, knew what was going on behind the scenes, you would be absolutely gobsmacked. Well done to the crew. So there it is. That's another week of Sporting Goss. Don't forget you can always get to us, sen.com.au. Download all the shows or some of the feature interviews as well. Thanks for your company today. Thanks to, of course, Josh Mellington, Tommy Randall, talking all things motorsport. Billy Monaghan joined us. Also, of course, Life of Riley. And we also heard from, uh, well, we, we chatted about Will Schofield's comments about, uh, of course, Sam Mitchell and the like. But we leave you with this. England soccer fans, stand up and enjoy. It's coming home. It's coming it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming home, Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Tyre Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit tyrepower.com.au now.